Here at Entree Leadership, we believe that people were created to do work that matters, work that contributes, work that adds value, work that creates. But as daily tasks, responsibilities, and problems inevitably pile up, it's really easy to replace creating with reacting. And as a result, we can all find ourselves unable to find meaning in what feels mundane. From the Ramsey Network, this is the Entree Leadership Podcast, where we help business leaders grow themselves, their teams, and their profits. I'm your host, Alex Judd, and today's conversation is with our Chief Creative Officer, Luke Lefevre. He's a part of our operating board and leads a team of over 150 people, and over the past several years, he's walked through a process personally that has helped him uncover principles which make up the creative center of great work, work that is set apart, work that is meaningful, work that is holy. The first five words of this ancient book called Genesis, mm. which you know was written a long time ago, 2,500 years before Christ was even around. Like That was when it was collected based off of these stories that were orally transmitted for thousands of years before that. And the first five words of this ancient book are, in the beginning, God created. Mm. And then, you know, creatives, yeah, great. Creatives love that. But then it gets to humans and it says, hey, let's make them in our image. The only thing we know about our, which God says, let us make them in our image. Our image, the only thing we know about his image is that he was a creator. Mm. That's the only piece of evidence you have. That's the only thing we have up to that point in this old ancient book. And so that's the beginning. And then later as this – Creation happens and man pushes against it, rebels. God's plan to be with people is distorted. He then starts the slow process of pulling people back to him. And eventually he finds this character, and I'm going to mess up how to say his name. (laughs) So listeners, please help me. I think it's Bezalel ultimately. I always say Bezalel, and I think I'm messing it up. But eventually, That's a good Tennessee yeah, pronunciation, Bezalel. Bezalel or something like that. Bezalel in Exodus 31, it says, I filled him with the divine spirit to create many things. Like I could look it up here. God filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze and cutting jewels for setting and carving wood and to work in all manner of workmanship. Okay. Great. Thanks for the Bible lesson again. (laughs) But really, this guy, Bezalel, was creating a place for God to dwell with us on the earth again. Yeah, that was his assignment. That was his assignment. And if uh, this commentary in the Bible I was reading, it says the first person the Bible mentions as being filled with the Spirit was this guy. Mm -hmm. And I read that a couple years ago, and I was like, what? How do I not know that as a person who's been working for a long time? I think work, why is work inherently creative? Yes. Because we are made in, as humans, we are made in God's image. What we know about God's image is that he was a creator mm. and he wants to manifest his ideas through us like he did with this Bezalo guy. Mm. And like that's just like really profound. And I think that work, that stuff we have inside us that we want to make or perform or build or teach or organize or whatever has been in there since before we were born. And I think it's because 
we are made in God's image to create. I think so often, especially today, it's really easy to get wrapped up in that word creative and think that that's a musician, that's an artist, that's a painter, maybe that's a graphic designer, maybe, depending if they're good or not. They're creative, right? right? But it sounds like you're broadening the scope of what is creative work. 100%. When I was five years old, I went to my aunt's house in the summer, and we had a week-long – we stayed with her, and I had to go to her church. And I was at our church, and there was a drawing contest. And <laughs> At church? At church. It was like, draw Noah's Ark. So I drew Noah's Ark. And I'm like, I don't know. You just draw, draw the ark, throw a couple animals on there, turn it in. Well, it was no big deal to me. I saw it in my head. I drew the picture, turned it in. Well, the teacher was like putting them up on the board, and I'm like, oh, mine's, mine's pretty good. You know, I just remember <laughs> thinking that. And then the next kids look like a banana, and the next kids look like you know something else. And I was just sitting there thinking, like, holy cow. I just might win this thing. I just drew the arc. And I did. I ended up winning. And it wasn't like, oh, good, someone's recognized my talent. It was, huh, I don't know. I just saw the arc, so I drew the arc. Mm. Well, the other kids didn't do that. And I was talking to a, another friend of mine, and he was like, I remember being pretty young and sitting in a pizza hut. And I saw that the pizza cost ten ninety nine. And I asked my dad how much the pizza cost. And he goes, well, $1.99. And this friend, he goes, business. He understood it cost $2 to make it, and they charged 10 so you, that's how you make he money. Was how old? He was like seven. Okay, so as a seven-year-old, he was understanding the concept of profit margin. Exactly. I never had those thoughts. <laughs> I <laughs> just, just figuring out I how just to draw the boat. pizza. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, so my, the thing in me was to draw – like I could just see things. I could connect dots. I could do that mm. stuff. His was this business thing. I have other – examples like my brother-in-law Brent huge entree fan has been through a lot of our stuff he's always since as long as I can remember been the guy who ran the sound did the video had the CDs when he was a kid like he recorded all the movies you know when you could record movies on VHS and you have three movies on one six hour tape he was just he's always just been drawn to this video technology side of things and I think it's because that is God's gift to each of us and they're all different But it's all made in his image, which is to create because I think that thing we're drawn to, whether it's business, organization, drawing, speaking, whatever it is, that is the creation God wants to create with you. Mm, Yeah. That's amazing. So, I mean, it's almost like what you're talking about is like as kids, we are creative. Yes. We, collective we, everyone that's listening to this, everyone on the planet, we are creative. And then – the thing that pulls us away from that is all these layers that we yeah. put on top of ourselves. But what you're saying is that at our core, there is something creative inside of us. 100%. I don't know what it is for each person. It's different. But my wife, we homeschool. We got four kids. She, when she was little, she remembers setting up all her dolls in the basement. And she was in front of these dolls and she was teaching on a whiteboard. And she was probably five years old. And now she loves it. And there's this slow pull towards that thing that has been in you since before you were born, I think. And there's there's relationships that squash it. There's parents that squash it or encourage it. There's just lots of reasons why you believe it or don't believe it. But I think there is a pull towards something that has been in there since before you were born, and that is the creative. So it almost seems like the way we can properly maximize our role in the present is to recognize that there is a piece of us that is creative that is demanded to be effective here. I think so. I don't know if it's demanded. I think 
you can deny it. Mm. I think you can let fear or ignoring it or who am I to do that, cover it up or years of pushing it away or things like that that can um, cause you not to use it. There are people I know who haven't followed this thing Mm. and they're lazy or they don't do something with it. And so it – Maybe a little bit sad. It's sad. It is sad. If you don't use the thing – it's really sad because you're not doing the gift. I think I think I believe that God wants to make this stuff with us and he's like hoping we do, you know, giving us opportunities to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is owning a small business inherently creative work? I think 100%. Depends on, you know, how you got into it, but I think there is a pull towards this thing. Mm. The people I talked to, I did an entree mentoring session at the yeah. last EMS. And I was talking to this guy, I'm blanking on his name, but he ran an ambulance company, uh, an independent ambulance company. And I was like, so why did you start it? And he was like, oh, I don't know, it was just something to do. And I'm like, no, come on. Come <laughs> there on. are way cheaper and easier ways to just find something yeah, to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. And he goes, well, I worked at one of these places and they, it was just not a great experience. I just wanted to do something different. And I'm like, okay, but what about – the ambulance thing that – why are you drawn to that? It's not just, well, I didn't like the way that they did it. And he was like, I just love helping people. Mm. I just love helping people. And he gets to do it like people in their most hardest time of need and that's the real root. I bet you he's always been a sweet kid who was a helper when he was a kid mm-hmm. and – that's the pull. And if you are – oftentimes I think – and I don't have data. I don't have you know spreadsheets and stuff. If you aren't working in that thing that you've been drawn to, that's where anxiety comes. That's where depression comes. That's where that sadness comes that you were just mm-hmm. talking about. Like if you can't express somehow that thing, that's where you get stuck in alcoholism or uh, addictions and things like that. I think because you're you're trying to squash or quiet this – feeling that's been inside of you. And escape reality. Escape. That's a great word for it, yeah. I love this because I think we're just laying the the framework and the foundation for kind of the the categories and really the pillars of what you've defined in your own story. But I think I'd love – and I printed it out. I'd love for you to read and give us the context around it to the quote from Stephen Pressfield, (laughs) who's been on this podcast before, and we'll post the link to that that episode in the show notes too. But give us the context behind it first and then explain to us why this stood out so much to you. All right. The context for this was this last year has been strange. It's been a a strange year for For you personally. For for me personally, but a lot of us like we're trying to take this company, Ramsey Solutions – to the next 30, 50 years. And really, I think we're growing a ton, but there's also a lot of the enemy does not want this to happen. There is a lot of resistance. And this last year was weird for me. And there were points at with which I felt like stuck, like, what am I supposed to push on next? And in August, it was funny, I read Pressfield's new book and he was, he was here like two weeks later. So I made sure to come down and sit in the, in the booth and listen to the whole thing. But I'm reading page 16 of his new book called uh, The Artist's Journey, and it says, Have you ever met someone who says, I have no passion for anything. I wish I could feel it, but I can't. The only thing I feel is boredom. He goes, bullshit. (laughs) I know this is a lie because I lived it for years. Show me someone who claims he doesn't give a shit 
and I'll show you a born artist who is scared out of his wits to become that artist. Our subject is sitting right in front of us, but we can't see it because we're terrified. Mm. And when you ask someone what they were drawn to as a little kid, they often discount it. They are like, I don't know. I just liked speakers and had that all figured out in my room. But they think it's just nothing. But it's been right in front of them their whole life. Mm. And it scares them to think that, oh, there just might be something there. How did that convict you? Oh, man. I have been a creative by career for 20 years now. And I've also been in bands, so design, writing songs, but then bands, and then working here, making stuff for Ramsey, always making things. But what it convicted me is I write all the time. Mm -hmm. So I write to the team. We have a big creative team here. Sometimes write out on blogs and things like that. But I have a lot of writing in there, and I was just like, what do I – what do I do with this? And so when I read this back in August, it was after a period of, I want to write something. I want to write something that says all this stuff that I'm learning about and feeling. And so it inspired something there, but I I still didn't know what. Mm -hmm. I still didn't know what it was. It was just like, ah, what do I do with this? And Christmas break, my wife had this, this idea to write our highlights from the year before and our goals for the next year. And we just put it on a little five by three note card put it in our stocking, and then we read it the next year. Mm, that's awesome. And so the last couple of years, I pull it out, and one of them, you know, of course, lose 20 pounds. And then the, <laughs> the next one is, uh, I'm going to write this book. Tried to write a novel when I was a little kid and tried to do that. And then this year, it happened again. I pulled this thing out, and it was like, I'm going to get this thing out, whatever mm. it is. And I was just like, man, I didn't do it again. But what am I, what am I trying to say? And honestly, I felt this little little nudge that, hey, what if you, what if you just gathered up a lot of the writing you've done over this past uh, ten years to the team, and it all has to do with creative and work and you know all this kind of stuff. And so I did that over Christmas break, and I gathered up all this writing, and it came to like forty seven thousand words. Just oh my all, word! All this writing. This is stuff that you've done yeah. over the course of a yeah. decade, right? Yeah, lots of stuff, and then a lot of it over the last five years as I've started to lead bigger teams and things like that. And so I gathered it all up, put it in a big Word doc, and I was just like, oh, okay. Well, then I had this nudge, like, what am I going to do with it? I can't just hit print on this thing. <laughs> uh, that doesn't make any sense. So I got out note cards, and I categorized everything. Okay. And I spread them all out, and I started to say, okay, that one's kind of about this, and that one's kind of about this, and that one's kind of about this. And as I collected it and looked at it, it seemed like there were seven groups that started to come up, and I was like, okay. And – Seven categories. Yeah, these seven categories that sort of came out from this 10 years of of stuff. And the first one was about this pull mm-hmm. that we've kind of been talking about, like this pull inside that I think we all have. Like as an artist, as a creative, that's my filter. The more people I meet, they all have something in there that they've wanted to do or they're drawn to. When the word you used earlier, mm-hmm. talking about your friend with the pizza head and talking about yeah. you at drawing, it, it wasn't you liked doing those things. It was you loved doing those things. And I don't even know if you recognize it as love. Mm-hmm. It's just you see it. You're drawn to it. It's just something that is it, – it flows and it's not difficult and it's mm-hmm. it just clicks in your brain. And I think there's a pull towards that stuff. So the first section, the first group of writing was about this pull. Mm-hmm. The second was what I've just recently started calling the proof, which is kind of the proof that God put that pull there. Mm-hmm. So that was the proof. The third thing was the practices. So 
journaling has been a huge part of my life. I've even, I even think I've talked about it on the Entree podcast before. But the practice of getting up and seeking that creator, God, first in, in our lives leads you to get some kind of vision mm. from him. But the practice, how can we be thought leaders? Like our, our brand is a thought leadership brand. We're wanting to change things. But how can we be thought leaders if we never get quiet enough to have a thought? If you just get up late, you rush to work, you sit down, you get into the meeting, how can you possibly be ready and handle what you need to handle if you haven't spent time with with God or if you don't even believe that, some kind of quiet to get your mind right? Yeah, and I would even expand that just to say leader, period. Exactly. Like if you don't take the time to have the thought and yeah. get wisdom from somewhere other than, than yourself. yourself, then what are you leading people towards? Exactly. You can't. Exactly. Um, we're going to run through these in depth as well, right. but we said the practices and then what's after that? The pull the proof, the practices. And once you get some kind of vision from God, that's where what I call the war happens. Mm -hmm. There's a resistance. Pressfield talks about that in the war of art. Everything, every good endeavor is going to get some resistance. You know, all of a sudden your tire gets flat. All of a sudden you hurt your ankle and you can't go for that run. All of a sudden these things happen that are the war against, and you have to choose to fight through them. So that's the war. Then once you do choose to fight through then you feel fear. Mm. Who am I to say this? Who am I to do this? So the pull, the proof, the practices, the war, the fear, and once you fight through all that, then there's this wilderness. Mm. That's where you just got to show up and do the interview and do the work, do the design, draw the picture, do the talk. Show up, make the widget at your business, and it could take 10 years. It could take 20 years. You just got to show up and perfect the craft mm -hmm. and slowly but surely let that pull continue to pull you towards the thing you're going you're gonna to eventually land on. So that's the wilderness. And finally, you do hit some sort of permission to do – and in fact, it's necessary to do this thing. Like if you really believe that God put it there, you're seeking him first, you're fighting through the wilderness and the fear and the war, you will eventually be released to do the thing. Mm. And you'll feel free and anxiety kind of goes away. And not always. Like it's not a magic pill or anything because it's, it takes years and years and years. But yeah. eventually you're like, oh, no, I can follow this path since I was four years old and now I'm embracing it. And you sort of get this permission to embrace it that kind of happens. I love that. Those are those seven things that all the writing I gathered had something to do with these things. And I, I've been affectionately calling that the path to what I think is holy work. Mm. And I think when we're all working in that vein, that's where the world changes. I love the process through which you came to those seven categories because I can almost introspectively put myself in that process as mm -hmm. well. And that like, as you're describing the categories, I can think back and I bet our business owners can as well, where it's yeah. like, yeah, I saw that show up in my life. Yeah. And probably so many of them, this process, whether they knew it or not, they happening? walked through to start their business. Exactly, They yep. had to have felt a pool. Yep. You already right. identified that. There was yep. absolutely proof. Otherwise, they wouldn't yep. have done it. Certainly, they faced a war in wilderness, and they may be somewhere in the middle of all that. I'll tell you, the group of people that I thought this maybe most would resonate with yeah. is the business owners that we work with every single day they started a business kind of to feed their family, to feed themselves, 
and probably because they couldn't work for anyone else yeah. because yeah. because they wanted to be their own boss, right? And yeah. they wanted the freedom associated with that. Yeah. It's almost like you can see the same look in their eye every mm-hmm. single time on the mastermind okay. where they have this realization moment where it's like, I'm here. Yeah. I did it. Yeah. And now what? And they have no clue, but there's almost like this gnawing sense that there's, there's got to be something more there. Yeah, and that's why they're listening to all these podcasts or reading all these books or coinciding with Entree Leadership, and they're so interested in this, and they're like, what do I do next? Because this is uncharted territory. I built a business. I yeah. thought that was the thing. Yeah. So my first question is, do these seven things that we're going to walk through apply to those people and then really kick us off at the pull? I think it does. So they had some kind of pull towards making something and whether it was the freedom they were looking for by starting this thing. And now that they've got it and they're like, now what? Now I would try to connect what they're doing every day with the parts that have been inside of them since they were little. Were Mm -hmm. they the connector? Did they connect people? Were they the accountant? Like I don't know what it is for each person, but there's something now where, okay, they made their business – now, where is the unique thing that only they can do, the thing they can't help but do? It's time to start embracing that part of the business. And you can offload the admin work or you can mm-hmm. offload the billing or maybe that is your thing you can't help but do. Like it's time to embrace that and own it. And that's where I think you start to hit the groove and really become that creative person that only you can do. Mm. It almost demands a little bit of discontent. Is that fair to say? I've been wrestling with that because it sounds like that. It sounds like that. But if – I don't think we're meant to find a job and settle into it. Mm. I'm a nine on the Enneagram, so (laughs) sloth is the sin. And so I have a tendency to be like just wanting to escape and turn it off Mm. so I don't have to do anything. But ultimately, God is trying to – redeem the world and turn it back into his original vision and he needs us to do it. I think he put this pull in which causes us to feel discontent. Yeah. And it's not discontent with what he's given us. Like there's gratefulness there. There's all that stuff. But why else do we continue to make stuff? Why else do we try to hit the quarterly goals? Why else do we do this? When why do we see beauty in creation? Yeah. We see that something is created that didn't exist yeah. yesterday, that now exists today, and there's something in our soul that lights up. Yeah, right. And so I I think it's inherent that we work, but if you're just clocking in and clocking out of somewhere, that's not it. Of course you want to stop that. And I know that a lot of people that do that But they're not content. They know there's something more Mm. and they need to acknowledge it in their guts and follow that thing because then ultimately it will be more than clocking in and clocking out and getting a paycheck. It will be like, oh, no, this is why I'm on the planet. Mm. You know, that's, that's what I want for people. Hey, folks, I started Ramsey Solutions on a card table 30 years ago. Over that time, we had too many different systems and they slowed us down. That's why we now use NetSuite. NetSuite works for us, and it'll make a difference for your business too. Whether you're just starting out or you're well on your way to becoming a multi-million dollar company, NetSuite can scale with you to help communicate across departments and plan ahead better. See, you know your day-to-day forward and backward, but stuff like analytics, accounting, human capital management, all that might be another story. 
or maybe you're not tech savvy. Well, that's okay. NetSuite will help your company in your situation increase your speed. More than 37,000 companies use NetSuite to know their numbers. And right now you can download NetSuite's free KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance at netsuite.com slash Ramsey. That's netsuite.com slash Ramsey. This episode is brought to you by Trainual. Even when you're great at running the day-to-day, a lot of leaders struggle to delegate. But delegation is a critical leadership skill and empowering your team by building that skill just takes having the right system in place. Well, Trainual is that system, and it's a game changer. Trainual is an easy-to-use app that helps document and organize everything about your company in one place. Clear outlines for every role and responsibility, step-by-step training for all your SOPs and employee handbook content, an org chart and directory. You can build accountability tests. Employees can even use Trainual's powerful search to answer their own questions. Companies using Trainual are cutting training time and related costs by up to 75%. Get started with over 300 templates and their world-class support. It's time to get your entire team playing from the same playbook. Visit Trainual.com slash Entree today for a demo and get 15% off your first year with code Entree15. That's 15% off at T-R-A-I-N-U-A-L dot com slash Entree with code E N T R E one five. We were having this conversation today. It was a small business owner. I think her business was in Oklahoma and the conversation kind of led us. And it was honestly a lot because I had been reading your work and reading your mm-hmm. thinking that, that we kind of got to this point where I told her, I was like, you have earned the opportunity to think bigger, mm, right? Like yeah, you have, you have built a business that works. Yeah. Congratulations. Right. Nine out of 10 people can't do that. Yeah. And now, so you've earned the opportunity to think bigger. And so she's going through this process of, okay, how do I identify what that pull is? Yeah. It sounds like you're saying, go back to what yeah. you were when you were a kid, go back. but then how do I know if it's correct? I've been calling them guideposts. Okay. So for me, that first thing was the drawing, the Noah's Ark drawing. Okay, cool. I didn't love drawing. I was just kind of good at it. So I'm a creative director now, but that doesn't just mean drawing. It's story. It's emotion. It's moving people with emotion to action. So connecting with people. It's connecting dots. It's mm. all that stuff. It's so, thinking profit margins and yeah, product well, and I have a hard time with that. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but the creative side of it, honestly, for me, isn't – I don't think profit margins and I don't think yeah. – I think, I think how can I make somebody feel something so that they change their behavior, so mm. that they move? So the drawing wasn't it, but there were other guideposts. There's this band you might have heard of called Pearl Jam. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Just a little bit. One of my favorite bands. But reason being is I got my 1988 dark blue Jimmy when I turned 16. Hmm. And one of the first CDs I put in there was Pearl Jam's first record called 10. And I grew up little Christian school, Christian college, like – self-expression wasn't always the first thing on everybody's brain, but I got in this car and I turned up this music and there was this dude raging, you know, (laughs) and these huge guitar solos. And I didn't really know what I was feeling, but I knew he was saying it and I felt it. Mm. And so this, this emotion that he created and the other night. So my son Grayson is, is starting basketball. Yeah. He's 10 and he's an introvert, very engineering brained, 
creative engineering brain, like memorizes 50 moves for a kata in karate, right? <laughs> he's, he's got it and he's fantastic at it. Well, I can tell he's pushing himself by getting into basketball. He says – Basketball is like doing 10 katas at the same time while someone's throwing a ball at you. Like his, his brain <laughs> does this. That? Yeah, he said that thing. So we get in the car and it's it's very extroverted sport. It's like give yeah. me the ball. You know, it's like run and go and grab the ball and kind of thing. And I can tell we got in the car afterwards and he's just like sh- shaking but enjoyed it but also very difficult. <laughs> and I was like, hey, buddy, you uh, you want to talk about it? Nope. Okay. So we just, <laughs> we just start driving. Well, he grabs my phone. And we've been listening to this song a lot, and he unlocks it, and he pushes play on Pearl Jam's song Alive. Okay, coolest 10-year-old ever for the record. He hits play, and we start on the drive home, full blast listening to this song, and it's just, I'm still alive. You know, it's just (laughs) raging. Then huge guitar solo, and I ask him at the end, I was like, did he put to words what you're feeling? And he's like, yes. (laughs) And I'm like... I know, right? Yes. You know, so I you get, in, get me. Yeah, so I get in this car as a 16 year old and, and listen to this music, and I'm like, that dude is putting to words what I feel in my gut, mm. and I want more of it, and I want to do that for people. Yeah, there was a, another book I read called Night by Eli Wiesel. Yeah, it's about a concentration camp person, and he was just writing these stories and saying how he felt, and I read it as a junior in high school. And I don't have it here. I wish I did. I wish I could remember the quote. But he did the same thing. The words he used to describe how he was feeling as he met these mentors in his life was what I was feeling. Mm. And I was like, I want to do that. I want to I want to cause that in yes. people. And so you take, okay, I could just see drawings. I could connect dots. This emotion was something different than any other thing. I didn't think about math like that. I didn't think about anything like that. Words, emotion, drawing. My job now is words, emotion, and design. Like it's mm-hmm. – there are guideposts that pull you and if you go back and you look at the things that you're drawn to and somebody might be like, oh, no, it's not – you might just look over Pearl Jam. It might just be a song you liked. But there are things that matter more to you than they do other people and those are some things that I think you're drawn to and I would look for guideposts along your journey. What's well, interesting – we see this all the time that the people that come to Entree Leadership Master Series, they don't just want to run a business. They want to run a business like Dave Ramsey. Yeah. And it's because he's like yeah. – there's something that he does that, yes, it has a little bit to do with his massive yeah. personality. But it's more just like there's something inside me that connects with that way of yep. doing business and I want to be more like that. Yep. And so it maybe even a little bit of sure. who your role models are, For that sure. can be part of the pull. Absolutely. Absolutely. He, he did the same thing when I first heard about Dave. I had over the years gotten into debt. I've got, you know, got the car payment. I knew I shouldn't have sat there and signed that those papers. I felt it in my spirit, but I didn't know about Ramsey. I didn't know about any of this stuff. And then eventually, me and my wife, she was out one night and I pulled all the credit cards in that we had and it was like 10 credit cards and $13,000 and I was like, "We're paying this stuff off." And we did it, right? <laughs> well, then a year or two later, I hit play on his podcast. I come across Dave's podcast. I knew better. Oh, my gosh. He put to words what I felt in my gut. He's Pearl Jam of the finance He's world. He's Pearl Jam of the finance world. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Like sometimes he put to words what I was feeling and I wanted to do more of that. I, mm. want, I was drawn to those things. And so following those guideposts is a – something you should go back and look at. That's valuable. So we've got the poll and then mm-hmm. we touched a little bit on the proof. But I yeah. love the practices oh, because yeah. it's where we make this – 
thing that's inside of us that feels ethereal and maybe a little bit ambiguous and we start to put action to it. So you specifically highlighted journaling in the beginning. I think journaling is one of those things that everyone loves the idea of. So explain to us what your process is for journaling and what it does for you. Yeah. It goes back to a story. I grew up, like I said, a little Christian school and uh, it was always called a quiet time or something like that. And I was never good at them. Hmm. Uh, It didn't work. And in 2010, my wife and I were going through a really tough time and I was out running and I was just ready to do something drastic like uh, to figure out. I was even thinking of the big D word and um, when I was I was running, you know how your head gets clear when you're running yeah. and uh, I was having these thoughts and I'm just crying honestly about it and I was just done. I was like something's got to change. I'm not – you know, all these lies are coming through my head. And I just felt as I was running this this smack almost that just said, be still and know that I'm God. Mm. Okay? So I went home. I didn't do anything drastic. I just was like, God, was that you? Was that what they talk about? And if it was, okay, here's what I can do. I'm going to get up early, and I'm just going to read one chapter of the Bible, and I'm going to write what I actually think about it. It wasn't, I'm going to start journaling now. It wasn't that. Yeah. It was, I'm going to start writing what I actually think, not what my pastor wants to hear, not what I think my dad wants to hear, not what anybody around me wants to hear. I'm not trying to impress I'm anyone. I'm not trying to impress anyone. I'm going to tell God the truth and then let it play out. I don't have to show anybody. So I just started doing that. I'd get up early, and this was 2010. I'd get up early. I'd read a chapter. And I would write what I think, whether it was like, this doesn't make any sense, or why did you do this? Or like, I was just honest. And so it was three times a week, four times a week. And I did it for five years. Wow. A stack of journals starts showing up. And this was probably 2015 at that point, where I was just telling the truth of what I thought. To this notebook. To, to Yeah, this notebook. And I'd write good morning father at the beginning Mm. and then at the end i'd write please be my guide and teacher Mm. and i wouldn't judge it i just unloaded whatever was going on upstairs you know in my brain i just started writing Mm. i'm frustrated here i'm annoyed with this i don't like this and it was almost the process of just getting through the cloud of thought Mm. like if we can get through the cloud of all the things that are bothering us and it took years i did it for five years then eventually something changed and I started writing. I moved to Evernote on my computer versus the versus the journal. But what happened was is I would wake up and I'd just be like, okay, I'm reading that. And, hey, I got this problem at work today. And, boy, I connected that with this book I read. And these ideas started to come. But it was still seeking him first and the ideas were filtered through him. And then sometimes during the day – I'd get this nudge, hey, you need to say what you were thinking this morning to so-and-so. Mm-hmm. Why don't you – what it did is it started to get me quiet enough to hear his voice. Yeah. And I know not everybody's a believer that listens, but this is what happened. And so throughout the day, I started to have these ideas and I'd share the ideas. They were coming from the quiet, the writing in the morning. Mm-hmm. So I'd get to work or then I, then I was able to access it. At work even, I'd be like, hey, I just need to sit down and, and think this through. And I'd just start typing. 
and what I felt would come out. And then I'd be able to talk about it. Let's pretend you don't do this. Yeah. And you don't have that discipline of journaling. You are still confronted with situations with people every single day. And I bet you what comes out is not the incredible thoughts that you had yeah. while you were journaling. What comes out in that situation is the cloud. Dallas Willard calls it the epidermal level of thought. So it's like your skin layer. If you're not having silent, solitude, journaling time to get through that epidermal layer, it will come out later. You're absolutely right. And – you won't know how you feel, so you will just be reacting. And that's where we get in trouble. Like, I've not had time to process this through. So when some, how do I feel about this thing? Something happens, reaction. Mm. But what happens is your brain, over time, starts to process differently. Because you're starting your day not with alarm, coffee, loud, gas, car, yeah. and horns. And like, instead you're saying, hey, brain. <laughs> yeah, and soul and human yes, being. Exactly. Mm. Let's wake up. What are we doing today? Let's seek that creator who made us in his image to see what he wants for today. Man, I think I mean, is it bold enough to say like every leader should be doing some version of that? Because I don't know how you I don't know how you can lead if you if you don't. Because people are depending on you. I I hundred percent agree. I am sure there are, are leaders out there who who have somehow got through it. I can't. Like I can't just show up and off the cuff. Uh, sometimes I can now because the habit is is built in and if there was a, a late dinner the night before or something, you know. But majority of the time, if we're going to really be leading in the front, we have to be setting aside time to think, to journal, to deal with our souls. You're absolutely mm -hmm. right. So good. Okay, so we've got the pull, the proof, the practices. Let's go ahead and jump to the war. And I know that you already referenced Stephen Pressfield, and we yeah, really – we did a best. whole episode with him on the War of Art that's just fantastic. But I, I love how you set the expectation that it's going to be a war because that connotes that there's going to be an enemy. Yeah. So lay out for us what is the enemy. Mm. I think there is an enemy who doesn't want you to do this thing that God put there. Mm. I think if we are really made in his image – and he has something he wants to create with us, there is an enemy who wants the opposite. He would be super satisfied with your businesses staying status yep. quo. Hey, no, you don't need to you don't need to get up and seek him. Like just get up, take the shower, do the thing. Like you're fine. You're fine. The war comes with I know there's something more. There has to be more than this. I've got something inside of me. I've got to get out. The war comes when I don't know. I'll just hit the snooze thing again. Or you can feel the war on the driving home when it happens to me, and I hate that it happens to me. Driving home, I should get my wife flowers. <sighs> What's on my phone? You know, let's play the next song. And all of a sudden, I'm home walking in, and I, I didn't get the flowers. Yeah. Our relationship could be better. I f have that feeling that I want it to be better. Let me get her flowers. And immediately, all of a sudden, I forgot about it. There is a war that doesn't want your relationship to be better. Everyone's experienced it with running or exercise. You're like, I don't, I don't want to. And so how do you overcome the war? Uh, you put your shoes out. You sleep in your shorts. I, you know, I don't know what the <laughs> things are. Like when you have the thought of getting the flowers, just do it. Now I'm going I'm to do that tonight on the way home. Any good endeavor, that's Pressfield's thing, any good endeavor – 
to get better abs, to create something, anything that makes the world a better place and expresses this stuff has resistance. Mm. So easy to go home and eat the donuts. It's so easy just to order a pizza. Yeah. You're not going to find resistance. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. No (laughs) kidding. That's right. Go for it. Yeah. (laughs) Those are small scale things. Imagine your life is a huge story. Yeah. The amount of war you don't even know you've lost to. Mm. Like you don't even know it. So when you start to look at it like this, like what is pushing back on me? You start to recognize these kind of things. So. When you realize life is not neutral. No, right. Right? Like yeah. if I hit pause right now with my life and don't take any action to grow this thing, yeah. I'm not just going to stay where right. I am. I'm going to atrophy. Right. Atrophy. Yeah. It's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then we get to the fear. Whenever I read your take on fear, I thought of an Elon Musk quote that I heard the other day, which you never know where you're going to land with Elon <laughs> Musk quotes, quite frankly. Uh-huh. But he equated starting a business. He said, starting a business – is like eating glass and staring into the abyss of death. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I think that might be the best possible description of fear, right? And Uh what it feels like to actually step out and start anything or do something different or reinvent yourself as a leader. So when you get into that stage, what does that mean and what do you do? Mm. (sighs) Think of a hard conversation you have to have with somebody. Okay. I heard this today. It's from, I think, We Bought a Zoo Matt Damon says, 20 seconds of insane courage will serve you. I'm going to mess up the quote. Will serve you for years to come. Mm. So there's that, who am I to say this? Or I can't do this. So-and-so is going to think this. That first time you – you could be anything from first time you take charge of your six-people team and you have to have a staff meeting. Yeah. And you're like, they are going to know that I don't know what I'm doing. So what? You got to do it anyway. You got to have the meeting and screw it up and try it. You're like, oh, I'm not like Dave or, you know, these kind of things. But if you do it and then you do it again next week and then you do it again, you start to beat it. You start to beat the fear. But then you'll just get new ones. Like yeah, it's, that's it's right. all the time. Like it's all the time. So uh, what do you do? You just got to do it. <laughs> you just got to do it. In the words you know? of Art Williams, yeah. and do it and do, do it, it and do it. <laughs> it's Christy Wright say, you got to do it scared, you know? Yeah, like, that's good. It's, it's true. You just have to do it. So even if it doesn't work, even if the meeting's a failure, if you have the pull, you know I got to do this thing because I'm trying to make something better. Mm. You still got to do it. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. It's interesting I think a lot of people that write kind of a journey-oriented concept that equates to life would end at this point and say like, okay, once you surpass that fear, then you get to the destination. And it sounds like that has not been your experience. And it's almost like, okay, once I get through the fear, then I get rewarded with wilderness. Wilderness. Yeah, that's a great point. So why why wilderness? I don't – and I also don't know if these are sequential. I think they are to an extent, but I think they're all overlapping each other and Mm -hmm. it's all the time. But the Mm -hmm. wilderness comes when I know there's something in here. I know that I have to chase this thing. I got to let this pull take me. The wilderness is – I'm going to show up and come to the meeting again. Like you have to keep showing up. Some people get off the train. They don't stick to the job. They don't keep going. My first couple of years of of work, I worked at a tiny little design agency. I knew like I was putting logos on pens and doing brochures and figuring out website stuff. I hated it. Mm. I hated it. 
I did not like it, but it was at least in the direction of some kind of creative expression of some sort, you know? If I would have quit then and gone to be something else that wasn't some sort of thing, guidepost follow sort of thing, I don't know what would have happened. So I stayed there a couple years. I went to the next job. I didn't love that one either, but it was a little bit better, a little bit better clients. If I would have quit, if I wouldn't have shown up, if I wouldn't have done the hard work of learning InDesign, this software, and making hundreds of brochures and setting the files and saving them and naming them correctly and like all this stuff that I had to figure out, it set the foundation Mm. to be able to do other things. And I don't know what that is for each person, but if you're bouncing around to thing to thing to try to get out of it, that's what I mean by wilderness. Sometimes you got to show up and you're like, is this it? Like – when I was in it, I wasn't like, oh, good. I'm at least in the creative field. Yeah. I wasn't. I was like, is this right? What is this? This sucks. You yes, know, I yes. did not like it. I wanted out of it and I belly ached about it. And, but I'm glad I didn't quit. Yes. I'm glad I didn't quit. And I showed up and I sought God eventually, not the whole time. And once I did start seeking him to an extent, what I felt some of the nudges were, it was like, hey, no, you need to embrace what I've given you embrace this, rock this thing, then we can talk about what's next. Yeah. I was belly aching and moaning about these jobs. Mandy, my wife, she knows all about it. Like I'd come home, this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. There has to be more, blah, blah, blah. But I wasn't embracing them or doing my best at them. Once I did that, I was like, okay, okay, what if I made the best sprinkler brochure ever, you know, (laughs) or the best sump pump brochure? Like this is, these are true stories. Uh, but it's almost like a feeling that yeah. it's like I'm not allowed to hit the eject button yet. No. And it's almost yeah. because it's like this work yeah. that I don't love, it's doing something to me yes. that needs to be done right, right now. And if you eject – now, there are times to eject if there's an abusive boss situation, stuff like that. Yeah. But if there's not a, another plan to go towards or something, like I didn't feel like God was like, no, it's you, you can quit. You can move on. It wasn't there. It would have been ejection. It would have been escape. Mm. And that's that's not what we need to do here. Man, I wasn't going to bring this up, but just what you just said made me think of this situation. We had a business owner. Uh, she was on a mastermind the other day, and she was she was absolutely, I mean, just beside herself mm. with this group of other business owners. And they asked her what was going on, and she said uh, – big corporation just offered to buy our business mm. and they were like, well, how much are they offering you? And it was millions of dollars. Yeah. And they're like, this yeah. is awesome. Yeah. Congrats. <laughs> and she just was struggling to make the decision. And what she said is, I just don't feel like I can leave this thing yet. Mm. And it's what you're talking it's about. It's like, I don't yeah. feel like I can eject yet. It's yeah. still doing its work on yeah. me to a degree. Yeah, it's it's the, I mean, is that right. the wilderness? It's part of it. Uh, I don't know what her story was, yeah. but there is a – I think if you're really listening, you can tell when it's time to move to the next thing mm-hmm. or when it's not. And sometimes when you force it, that's where you're like banging your head on the table. Mm-hmm. But if you let the pull pull you and you don't eject before you feel released – that's because you're building a foundation and you're going to get led to the next thing and you're going to get led to the next thing. That's where the Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours thing. Yep. Like I'm sure the Beatles didn't love playing the covers for six hours a night every night. I'm sure it sounds great and glamorous right now, but I'm sure their fingers were bleeding and 
they didn't love smelling like smoke all the time or whatever the story is, but they showed up. They didn't quit. Mm-hmm. And that's the wilderness. And it feels like a wilderness because it's psychologically mind-melting. Yes. Because th- it's not like, oh, good, I'm in the wilderness. It could be 20 years. It could be. It could be 20 years. And you could be like, this is this it? And, you know, seek him first and seek guidance and spend that time journaling and figuring out what is in your brain that needs to get out. But sometimes it takes a long time. But, man, I want to be sitting on my porch someday when I'm 80 years old and being like, holy cow, that was a good story. (laughs) (laughs) Like I didn't quit and I fought and I – I wrestled and I mm. had that gnawing in my gut that drove me crazy, but I didn't eject and go go work at the cabana in Jamaica or something, which sounds <laughs> fantastic sometimes, you know? That's right. I didn't do that. I stayed in the battle, you know? Mm, that's good. Yeah. So we get to permission then, and it sounds like permission is also very much a feeling or it's just a sense of knowing so explain to us what that looks like, uh, and then what do we do with it? Hmm. There's a picture that I found of my myself as a seven-year-old, and I'm on this ladder, like the top rung. You know, like if my kids were on that top ladder, I'd be like, ooh, what are you doing? <laughs> and right below is my grandma, and she's just staring at me, and my grandma was this lady, like, you, you don't tell her no. She's a very dominant lady. I love her so much. But if she said do something, you'd do it. Yeah. And you don't question it. You get up on the ladder. (laughs) And this picture is like I'm reached out super far trying to get this pair. And I can just hear her saying, well, go on. Get up there. (laughs) I can just hear it. By looking at the picture, you can hear her voice. Just her body language. Go on. Get up there. Get that thing. (laughs) And looking back, I'm like, I feel like she's a great metaphor for for God. Like he had me. She has me. If I fell, my grandpa or her would have caught me. She wanted me to grab that pair. And I think once you f- feel that pull, you acknowledge that pull, you go back and you dig around to the things you liked and you were drawn to. You start to believe that it was put there for a purpose mm. by our creator. You then start practicing seeking him throughout the process. He will guide. You start practicing. You'll hit the war. You'll hit the fear. You'll go through the wilderness. But eventually you'll get some – small bits of clarity and you'll be like, oh my goodness, like, okay. And you'll start to get that permission to say the thing out loud that you've sort of been working around for 20 years. You'll start to feel like, oh no, like when I say that, something happens in people. When I when I make that thing, something happens. When I write that or whatever that, when I organize it, when I actually own my voice and say the thing that I've been thinking you get some sort of validation sometimes, and that's that permission. And I think over time, takes a long time, you will get that permission to do the thing that has been in there the whole time if you follow this path. Mm-hmm. And I, I like the word necessary. You'll find even that it's necessary, like you can't not do it eventually. Mm-hmm. you know. And that's where you're like, oh, no, that's where the permission comes. Me and my wife, we always talk about – I. I look for emotional permission sometimes. Like as a nine, I'm like, oh, is it okay with you? And is it okay with you? And blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I give you emotional permission. Like go out tonight or whatever the thing (laughs) is. And I just – you feel free. Yeah. And it's that same kind of thing. Like eventually I felt this thing for so long. I've worked this field for so long. Eventually it will be like go do it. Go say it. Go be it. 
You know, mm-hmm. that's that permission. And I don't know when each person feels it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know how old you have to be. And I think this cycle probably works on a small scale all the time and then medium scale at the same time yeah. and then a whole scale of your whole life another time. But from my journey and that writing that I, that I pulled together over these last 10 years, those were the things that that kind of came to the top of it. I love that it's compounding and we're all in the middle of it at some certain stage. Final question for you before we go. This could very easily be laid out as a path for work. Yeah. But you lay it out as a path for holy work. Mm. So why that distinction? Mm. Me personally, I think there's something better for the world. That's what I think. And I think if we are – Following that pull that was put there from before we were born by the creator of the universe, when we work through this, we seek him through it, we fight through the war, we get over our fear, we work and learn through the wilderness, and we finally let go and do the thing, that's where I really think you're creating something that was only in God's mind before. Mm. And... He wants you to do that so that he can continue to make this world better. Like what was the – I think it's Martin Luther King says the moral arc of the universe bend towards good. Mm. And when we do this, it's not just work to clock in and clock out of. It's not just work to make a paycheck. It's holy work. It's work that is set apart. Holy is something set apart. It's something different. It's not for money. It's not for a paycheck. It's something more. It's something holy. Mm. I think the thing that maybe even amplifies it is that everything that you've talked about today is the example of your holy work, Mm -hmm. right? Like I'm a believer and I think many in our audience will agree that this is a message that God gave to you and Mm -hmm. he's choosing you to give this message. So thank you for sharing with me. Thank you for sharing with our audience today. We're super grateful for your time. Love being here. If you're like me, you spend a lot of that conversation thinking about, okay, which of these categories am I falling into right now? But also, how could I leverage this framework to help the people around me? And we wanted to make sure that you had something tangible and visual that you could look back to with regard to this episode. So we asked Luke if he wouldn't mind taking these seven categories and just creating a one-pager that outlines what are the things you should be looking for in each of these areas. And he did just that. So we wanted to share this resource with you, the podcast audience. If you want to get that Holy Work PDF, text Holy Work to 33444. Again, that's Holy Work, all one word, no spaces, to 33444, or just click the link that's in the show notes. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Entree Leadership Podcast. If you did, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. For a chance to win a $25 Amazon gift card, you can review this episode by clicking the link that's in the show notes. And be sure to follow us on social media at Entree Leadership. This episode was produced by Tim Hole and it was edited and mixed by Will Rudder. I'm Alex Judd, and on behalf of the entire Entree Leadership team, thanks for listening. We'll talk with you again very soon. If you enjoy this podcast, you should check out other great podcasts from the Ramsey Network, like Borrowed Future. Not so fun fact, 
America has a $1.6 trillion student loan crisis, and it's out of control. I'm George Camel, host of the Borrowed Future podcast, where we uncover the underbelly of the student loan industry and show you what you can do about it. It'll inspire you to see that it is possible to avoid student loans and graduate college debt-free. Listen to Borrowed Future wherever you listen to podcasts.